You're listening to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. Here's your host, Rob Walker. I'm Robert Walker, and welcome to The Honest Report podcast. Today, our guest is Gideon Falter. He's the chief executive of Campaign Against Anti-Semitism. Uh, he's been the CEO there uh, since August 2014, just after its establishment, and he's helped to build it into the UK's foremost campaign organization against anti-Semitism. Gideon, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Gideon, I remember hearing you uh, speak a number of years ago um, and being very impressed at the kind of work uh, that you're doing. Um, speaking uh, specifically, obviously, as a guest on the Honest Reporting podcast, tell us a little bit about, you were talking about uh, the work that you're doing in defamation cases, um, you know, not just in terms of going after um, individuals who are trying to defame, uh, you know, let's say, uh, Israeli individuals, but also the kind of chill that uh, that anti-Israel activists are trying to put on uh, campaigners such as yourself and trying to hinder free expression. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we we use uh, libel law as a tool to uh, obviously address people who are saying some of the often most disgusting slurs against Jewish people. Um, We've also um, had one lawsuit against us. It's a lawsuit where the uh, the claimant was singularly unsuccessful. In fact, we've bankrupted him. And so far, um, it, it looks like um, that's the only case on the horizon. I mean, generally speaking, we're quite careful about what we say. We're quite certain about what we say. And the people on the other side of the argument often aren't. And so we see libel law as being a type of law that actually favors us and favors people who are fighting the good fight, so to speak. Uh, when you say it, it, um, it favors you, is that because sort of you've been so careful or is that uh, because your opponents have been so uh, irresponsible? I think that's exactly that. I think we 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 are quite careful in what we say. We, you know, if you call somebody an anti-Semite, that is a big thing to say, and so we're careful about using that language. We're careful about uh, the the evidence that we have and making sure that we're right about these things. And on the other side, we find people who, for example, accuse Jews of making money out of anti-Semitism or accuse Jews of involvement in all sorts of different plots around the world. And those people uh, don't really have any defense when you stand them up in front of a court. And that's why uh, defamation law, libel law favors people who are truthful. That's the fundamental point of it. Now, you've um, you've campaigned in the past, as you said, uh, you know, against uh, individuals or against the words of individuals who have, uh, you know, in your um, in your mind, uh, defamed uh, Israel or specifically Jewish advocates. Um, tell us about sort of your not your strategy, but your big vision there. There may be some uh, critiques that some say, well, why are you giving undue platform to some, uh, you know, crackpot professor who's uh, spewing nonsense in the classroom? They may have 50 or 100 students there, but you're giving them a national platform. Uh, what's your what's your view on that? I mean, you, you, you say we go after people um, who defamed Israel or Jewish people. And I, I would clarify that we actually only go after anti-Semites. And sometimes those anti-Semites are in some way uh, slurring 
using Israel as a means of slurring the Jewish people. Um, but we don't go after people who criticize Israel per se. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're not our targets. Um, what we do is we go after people who, um, who, who engage in anti-Semitism. And often anti-Semitism has some kind of uh, libelous edge. Sometimes it's got um, different facets to it. Sometimes it's criminal. Um, sometimes these people are members of regulated professions. And so we actually go after them through their professional body. There are lots of different ways of approaching it. But we've actually had quite a lot of landmark successes in the UK, where, for example, there is no actual law against Holocaust denial, for example. And we've successfully prosecuted and put someone in prison uh, over their Holocaust denial by using different uh, aspects of UK legislation in, in innovative ways. So we're, um, we're open to innovation, let's put it that way, when it comes to how we use the law. Now, you, you touch on an important point there, which is, of course, anti-Semitism versus uh, legitimate or even perhaps illegitimate. Uh, you know, one can be anti-Israel and one can spread disinformation about Israel. Um, but where in your estimation, how do you or how does your organization campaign against anti-Semitism uh, draw the line? Is it the IRA definition of anti-Semitism? How do you distinguish? Yeah, so we actually have been using that definition since before it was called the IRA definition. The, the, the original definition was written by a now defunct body called the European Union Centre on Combating uh, Xenophobia and Racism, the EUMC as it was called. And when that body became defunct, there was a great definition of anti-Semitism, which was essentially without a home. And the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, IRA, uh, became the home for that definition. They adopted it. And, <coughs> sorry, um, and uh, not COVID, I assure you. Um, and um, the, the, the definition was, was adopted by IRA. And then, of course, we campaigned in the UK. Uh, along with others, for Theresa May's government to adopt the definition. And the British government became the first government in the world to adopt the international definition of anti-Semitism. And governments now around the world have followed on and done so. And we saw that there's been a certain amount of approval for that definition from the Canadian government as well. And we use that as our tool for deciding when something is anti-Semitic and when it's not. And really I think it's one of the most important tools and one of the ways that we can see that are the efforts being made by anti-Semites to discredit that definition or to introduce other definitions which let them off the hook. Right, right. So in terms of um, in terms of sort of your active combating against it, um, again I think that there's Perhaps correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's you've been fighting or you've been creating a new kind of reality, whereas in the past, uh, there has been a tendency to sort of, as I mentioned earlier, let it lie, sort of, you know, people who spew this kind of dif disinformation, let them do it, you know, uh, sticks and stones have never, uh, never hurt anybody or sorry, sticks and stones do, but words don't. Um, but you're obviously pioneering, or at least in, in large part, pioneering a, a very assertive new uh, litigious approach here. Um, how has the response been? Are, are people understanding that there's a new approach needed or are people still saying that, uh, you know, you're poking the bear and, uh, and, and being unnecessarily provocative? 
Well, we'll always have, I think, people inside the Jewish world who say, don't go after the anti-Semites, you're just going to make it worse. I mean, we've even had people saying you shouldn't draw attention to anti-Semitic incidents because it'll give people ideas. And the thing is that keeping quiet has never in the history of the Jewish people had any kind of benefit for fighting anti-Semitism. When we keep quiet, when we keep our heads down, anti-Semites become bolder and bolder and things become more and more dangerous for Jews. And our view is that there needs to be a zero tolerance approach to anti-Semitism in exactly the same way that there is for every other type of racism. If, if people are going to be racist against Jews, they need to fear the consequences that will follow. And that was in fact something that uh, Holocaust survivors pioneered after the Holocaust. Many survivors were engaged in the act of trying to hunt down former Nazis and hold them to account for their crimes. And it wasn't out of vengeance. It was not because these people posed an immediate threat to the Jews. The Nazis were gone. There was not that, that was not the case. The reason that they did it is because they wanted to show future generations, if you commit this kind of atrocity, you will never sleep another night in your life without worrying that justice is going to come for you. And over the years that fell away, Jewish communities around the world, including in Britain, ceased to do that. They became uh, much quieter in fighting anti-Semitism and the deterrence disappeared completely. And our view is that that deterrence needs to be restored and anti-Semites need to face the absolutely most ruinous consequences possible for their actions. How much of a uh, problem is overt anti-Semitism in the mainstream news media in the UK? It's not something that often screams out at you, but sometimes it does. And I'll give you an example. During Hanukkah in December, uh, we saw an incident in which Jewish teenagers who were on a bus into central London to look at some of the sites, they, they, they pulled their bus up, they took out a Hanukkah, which they lit, and all of a sudden they were set upon by a gang of, of youths who basically attacked them and herded them back onto their bus and off they drove. And in the BBC's reporting of it, the BBC claimed that this group of Jewish teenagers may have actually had some kind of part in causing this to happen because they were shouting anti-Muslim slurs. And we looked at the footage and we couldn't see any anti-Muslim slurs. We wrote to the BBC, as did others. And the BBC doubled down. It said that the, the anti-Muslim slurs could be clearly heard. And of course, gradually, what we find out is actually there is no evidence and there are no anti-Muslim slurs that can clearly be heard. And the whole thing is a nonsense. It's a, it's, it's a slur against these Jewish teenagers. And you have to look at the whole institution in order to understand you know, what, what is actually going on there, because the, you know, the institution of the BBC, first of all, you've got these, these reporters low down who seem to have heard an anti-Muslim slur that wasn't there. And then you've got all of the way to the top of the BBC, where the people dealing with this complaint and the media fallout. And you know, we went to the BBC, we, uh, you know, we, we organized a protest which closed, closed down the front entrance to the BBC headquarters. Um, we shone, uh, we projected um, images of anti-Semitic BBC stories onto the side of their building. Um, we have seen the BBC double down and protect itself and eventually issue a kind of mealy-mouthed admission that they got it wrong. And that 
that has an enormous impact on anti-Semitism because all of the people listening to the BBC and reading its articles will have thought that the Jewish kids brought it upon themselves, and that's dangerous. Well, uh, listen, this is a tremendous work that, uh, that you and your organization are working on, uh, Gideon, and uh, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our alerts, subscribe to our podcast, and leave a review. And if you like what you heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts. You can do so at honestreporting.ca slash donate. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.